Good evening. It is so good to see you tonight. We're glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles and you'd be turning to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, we're going to start a series of thoughts tonight on verses 26 and 27, where the Bible tells us that God made man in his image. And so we're going to do several sermons to that end and discovering and trying to understand what that means exactly. I will tell you in advance the purpose behind these series of thoughts is at least threefold. Number one, to learn God and appreciate Him, and therefore then approach Him and treat Him accordingly, and that is which is appropriate to Him and His nature. And then number two, to learn self and appreciate that about yourself, and then to treat you accordingly and in harmony with the one whose image you bear. And of course, then thirdly, to treat your fellow man, to learn that other people here are the same as you are. They share the image of God. And as a result of that, it should affect how we then think about and treat other people because every human being is one who shares the image of God. So God, self, and others is always the dynamic and the arrangement as it relates to our behavior, our existence, our relationship with Him. It is that which makes us human, this image that we bear. It's that which separates us from every other part of creation. We've talked about it, I believe, in the past, that divine nature is spirit. We'll talk about that momentarily, but so are angels. Angels are created that way. They're spirit beings. Hebrews 1, 13 and 14, they are referred to as ministering spirits. They never have flesh. They are spirit. And then there's animals below us and beneath us, and they don't have the nature and character we have. We, as human beings, are unique in creation. Sometimes you'll hear people refer to us as the crown of God's creation. I don't know about that. The angels may think otherwise. I don't know. It is certainly, though, a testament to the uniqueness of our creation. Only humans share the image of God and share the flesh that animals share. We are unique in that regard. It makes us who we are. This phrase, let us make man in our image after our likeness, these are the words, this is the statement that changed everything. In fact, it makes everything everything. Everything that you and I come to know and appreciate has its roots and foundations in this statement. You talk about meaning and purpose. Well, it goes back to this. Joy, fulfillment, beauty, life, family, soul, salvation, blood, worship, communion, marriage, you name it, it is because we made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, 27 is the sixth day of creation and the last portions of creation. I would urge everything else was made in lieu of this. Isaiah 45, verse 12, down to verse 18. Among the other things it says is that God created the world, but it also says He didn't make it in vain. He made it to be inhabited, which leads me to the conclusion that the first five days then were bent for and spent on preparation for the inhabitants. And now we arrive at day six, and He doesn't speak humanity into existence, but He makes this statement, let us, a reference to the Godhead, agreement, unity. Let us do something. Let us make man in our image. It's not like the other parts of creation. It's not like the sun, moon, stars. It's not like the animals. It's not like the trees. It's not like the birds or the fish. Let us make man in our image. Only humans have this said about them. After our likeness, 
and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Some thoughts about what that means. If you were to just do your own study and go about, grab the internet and look around and hear what people have to say about it, I did that and it might surprise you. Many people say we don't know. Quite honestly, we don't know what that means. There several people said that, but then almost immediately as they said that, they would tell you what it meant. And so right after we don't know, they would say something, and here's what it is. Some of those things included one person saying, having the image or likeness of God means in the simplest terms that we were made to resemble God. Adam did not resemble God in the sense of God's having flesh and blood. Scripture says that God is spirit and therefore exists without a body. Another person said, so what does it mean to be created in God's image? The Hebrew root of the Latin phrase of the image of God, imago Dei, means image, shadow, or likeness of God. You are a snapshot or a facsimile of God. At the very least, this means humans occupy a higher place in the created order because we alone are imprinted with God-like characteristics. Still, another person said, so then what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means that we are made in his likeness. In that, we have some of the attributes that God has. For example, God is rational, Isaiah 1.18, and so are we. God can love, John 3.16, and so can we. God can hate, Psalm 5 and verse 5, 11.5, and so can we. They went on to say, because we are made in God's image, we are able to have compassion, mercy, grace, fellowship, friendship, etc. However, as God is all-knowing, we are not. God is ever-present, but we are not. So the image of God in us means that we are like him in some, not all of his attributes. That's what several people have said relative to what it means to be made in the image of God. What does the definition say if you just look up the word image here in Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27? Brown drivers, drivers and Briggs says it means image. The translators are usually very good at what they do. It means image. Let us make man in our image. It means image. Great. It also means likeness or resemblance. What does the Scripture say? Well, now that is always the question. So we began with God. If we're going to be made in His image, what's His image? This is where John 4 and verse 23 and 24 are helpful. Jesus says God is spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, we do use the word spirit, and sometimes we use the word ghost, and so maybe we kind of have that in our minds. Jesus talked about a spirit and what it means in Luke 24 and verse 39. Jesus said, behold my hands and my feet after his resurrection. He said, handle me, see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. And so the image of God then cannot be a physical description. It's not. It's that which is eternal, spirit, without flesh and bone. The focus then on our lives and in our lives then ought not to be purely physical. While we are physical, that's certainly true. While there is an exterior shell, that might be a very good way to think about it, that you and I are actually two people in one. That there is a physical exterior, Paul would say, for our outer man is decaying. But the inner man is renewed day by day, 2 Corinthians 4 into chapter 5, 16 following. 
And so there's a very real sense in which there is an eternal person and then a physical body in which that eternal spirit is housed. James would say that's what death would be. It would be the body without the spirit. Luke chapter 8, when Jesus brings the young girl back to life, they have a body, and he brings the spirit back into her, and she's alive. That's kind of the way it works. And so that's what the spirit is. In simpler terms, then, three things we want to notice tonight relative to what it means to be made in the image of God, those things in mind. Number one, it means we are like God. The spirit nature of humanity is like the divine nature. Let us make man in our image, God's image put into man. Humanity then shares that image. And that's what the Bible teaches. In fact, it proclaims that over and over again. Take a passage like Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 1. The prophet says, The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. When the apostle Paul on Mars Hill was talking to all of those religious people, individuals who had made up so many gods that they made an inscription to the unknown God, Paul says, let me declare him. And in Paul's point with regards to them and their idol gods, he says with reference to God, you aren't like them. God is not like that. In fact, he says, in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold and silver or stone and image formed by the art of man being his offspring. In fact, the Bible referred to us as children of God very often in Christ especially. The writer of the Hebrew epistle in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 9 also refers to us as God's offspring. Using slightly different words, he says, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Humanity's genealogy proves this very fact that's being proclaimed in all of these passages. It is sad indeed that individuals refer to themselves and others as animals. We are not animals. We are not molecules in motion. We are not illegitimate. We have a father. Our spirits have a father. We don't have Ancestry.com. No, we have something better. We have Scripture. We have God claiming us. Humanity's genealogy goes back to God. In Luke chapter 3, verses 36 down to verse 38, the end of the gene genealogy, not the one in Matthew, but the one that goes backward from Jesus backward. In Luke's account, Luke gets near the end, and the further he goes back, the closer he gets to God. And he says this, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Arphaxad, which was the son of Shem. And so already, by the time we get there, we're back to Noah's genealogy. Shem, he says, which was the son of Noah, 
which was the son of Lamech, which was the son of Methuselah, which was the son of Enoch, which was the son of Jared, which was the son of Mahalaleel, which was the son of Canaan, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. When you're reading about Adam, please understand, the Bible says that's the son of God. That's God's son. That's where humanity begins. Humanity's genealogy goes back to God, and God is our father of spirits, the one who said, let us make man in our image. Adam is the son of God. What does it mean to be made in the, in the image of God? Well, it means just that we are like God. But then secondly, it means we can do the things that God does. When we open up the Bible, God is at work, for lack of a better expression. God is creating the world. And creating the world, again, I would urge with us in mind, that everything prior to that is made with us and a view toward us. And as you look at what it says about Adam and what it says about God, it's very similar language. In Genesis chapter 5, Beginning in verse number one, the Bible says this is the book of the generations of Adam. And sometimes those generations, that phraseology means genealogy. This is the generations, the genealogy of Adam. And then it says, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female created he them and blessed them and named them Adam or man when they were created. Then it says this, when Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. It means we do the things that God does, and nearly everything that God does, we do. God is a builder, a creator, a designer. Genesis chapter 1, the heavens and the earth, the sky, the expanse, the trees, the vegetation, the sun, moon, stars, fish, and birds, land animals, insects, humanity, the galaxies, the plans, the purposes, all God and his execution of those things. Not surprising then when you start reading about man, that's what you find us doing, building, making, planning, purposing, and then executing. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 17, the Bible says they began to build cities. They did. Genesis chapter 6, verse 14, and into chapter 7, Noah builds the ark. In Genesis chapter 11, and verse number 7, which is really interesting, you talk about ambitious. We are ambitious. A group of human beings got together and said, you know what we should do? Let's build us a city. Let's build us a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Talk about an ambitious build. We're going to build a tower to reach heaven. If you continue to read in Genesis chapter 11, you'll hear God say, come let us go down and there confuse their language so they will not understand one another's speech. The reason for that is God goes on to say, nothing they do will be withheld from them. Why did they leave off building the tower? Because God confused their languages. What do we do? We build, we purpose, we plan. In fact, the Bible is full of great building projects by humanity. Exodus 25, the tabernacle is built. First Kings chapter 8, Solomon builds the temple. Solomon built houses. There's cities, there's walls. Nehemiah, Zerubbabel, Nineveh is called a great city. Do just a little bit of research on the city of Nineveh and Babylon and talk and listen to uh, people talk about how wide the walls were. 
how high the walls were, how at least one author suggests you could ride four chariots abreast across the walls. Huge scale humans do this. We build, we plan, we purpose the pyramids, Nebuchadnezzar's gardens, and on and on and on and on it goes. Where do we get that, God? We do what he does. That's what it means. Thirdly, and I should tell you, I only have three points tonight. Now, I don't want to disappoint you. <laughs> but I feel like I got there hurriedly. Are you okay with us quitting early? Don't answer that. <laughs> Some, somebody said, well, you preached a short sermon tonight. So you really preached a sermon. Let me tell you what I told them. I don't write long sermons or short sermons. I just write sermons. And when they're done, they're done. Point number three, having God's image means we can behave like God. And we'll talk more about this maybe in more detail next week in the preceding weeks, but it's important to note, we don't just build things like God. That's one aspect, certainly so. We build, he builds, and we are his offspring, so we do what he does. That's absolutely right. But it's more than that. It means we can behave like God. Consider a, a, a just a small sampling of examples in our Bibles. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 17, God says, among other things, with regards to Abraham, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's already decided that. And then God makes this statement in Genesis 18 about Abraham in Genesis 18, 17, 18, 19, right in that section. God says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? For I know him. And here's what God says he knows about Abraham. I know him. He will command his household and his children after me. He will do mercy and righteousness and justice. I know that about him. And so God told Abraham. What did Abraham do? Abraham interceded just like God does. When Abraham found out and he thought that the righteous was going to be destroyed with the wicked, he interceded just like God. What about 50 and 40 and 30 and 20? And Abraham did that. Moses constantly interceded for Israel, just like God. The golden calf incident is one example, Exodus 32, 9 to 15. He is willing to give up himself. In fact, chapter 32, verses 30 through 40, 34, rather, Moses says, if you're going to destroy them, blot my name out. Don't, don't allow me if you're going to destroy them. Moses is not willing to simply interceding. He's willing to give himself up for them. The ten false spies in Numbers 14, 11 through 19, Moses will again intercede on behalf of Israel. Faithful men behave, and women, people of faith, behave just like God. They behave just like their father. Abraham loved and sacrificed like God. When you read Genesis 22, you should probably also read Isaiah 53 and make some comparisons and contrasts and know what's involved in each chapter. In each chapter, there's a father and there's a son and there's a sacrifice and there's an instrument of death. And the father is giving up his son. Abraham is going to do just what God does. In fact, God says to Abraham, now I know. And here's the wording he uses, you have not withheld your son from me. And God doesn't withhold his son from us, Romans chapter 8. Men of faith, humans of faith, behave just like God. Job endured like God. Job did that which was right, Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. 
And then Job suffered loss of all things. He continued to do right. He had done right by his friends and family and neighbors and all of those who were in need. And yet all of those turned and attacked Job. Job continued to do right. Eventually even mediating and interceding for the very ones who had done him wrong, his friends. Has God endured such with his people? Certainly so. You read the Pentateuch, you read the Judges, you read the entire Bible, and has God endured doing right while men did him wrong? Absolutely. David is described as a man after God's own heart, not somebody else's heart, not an angel's heart, a man after God's own heart. David was humble and courageous and holy, committed, compassionate, just. When Abigail came to him about Nabal and his foolishness, she was able to intercede, and David had mercy. When David was presented with a case, not knowing it was even him, David said, the man that had done this thing is worthy of death. He judged righteously. He didn't kill the man, but he said he deserves it. But he did say he should pay back fourfold. Abraham is called the friend of God. Sometimes we use the word friendship, and we use it a little loosely. Several things are implied in friendship, though. And if Abraham is God's friend, you should take that in reverse. It doesn't say God is Abraham's friend. Now, that certainly is true, and we would assume that to be the case, that God is Abraham's friend, that God is friendly to Abraham. Well, that's true, but it's actually saying it in reverse. It's saying Abraham is God's friend. Friendship implies a shared mind, a shared interest, shared goals, shared intentions, agreement. That's what friendship implies. And Abraham is God's friend. Amos asked, can two walk together except they be agreed? God and Abraham are in agreement, and so they walk together. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah demonstrated courage like Christ. They stood before a king. Their lives were threatened. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar said, I will take your life. Fast forward to Christ, and he stands before Pilate. And what is it that Pilate says? Do you not know that I have power of life and death? Do you not know in my word I could take your life? What do those men do? They stand and remain faithful. They go through the fire. What does Jesus do? He stands and remains faithful, goes through the garden, goes through the fire. What happens? They both please God. The apostles endured threats, suffered beatings, and died for Christ, and they rest in glory, just like Jesus. Paul fought the good fight was poured out as an offering and crossed over into glory. And then the Hebrew writer says, do just like Jesus did. Lay aside the weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, considering Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, what did he do? The same thing, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Wherefore, consider him, lest you be wearied in your mind. What's God saying? Be just like him. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, it means, quite frankly, it means everything. It, it separates us, makes us distinct and different from every other part of creation. In fact, it makes us, as we'll talk about in maybe another sermon or two, makes us, among other things, redeemable. Animals don't get redeemed. Angels don't get redeemed. God doesn't need redemption. There's only one part of creation that gets redeemed because we share the image of God. It means we are like God. It means we can do the things that God does, and we do. But we can not only build, it means we can behave like God. 
And Scripture is full of individuals who have. Our spirits are like God, who is spirit. And this is why God expects us as children to behave like him. Let me offer you the thesis and the point again. Ultimately, we're trying to learn God so we can approach him and commune with him appropriately. I'm no psychiatrist, but boy, a lot of people need to learn themselves. I have a deep appreciation of what it means for a human being to share the image of God. That will allow us to then look out at one another and see whatever we see on our exterior to ultimately know that that's a soul who is also a sharer of the image of God. Then we can treat ourselves, treat our fellow man, ultimately treat God accordingly. Not a Christian tonight, become one. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You can. Change your heart and your mind. You can. Animals can't change their natures, but humans can change their minds. Humans can change the course of their direction and the life that they're living. Humans can repent, and only humans can. And so Jesus invites, come to him, repent, change your heart, change your mind, confess the name of Jesus, and be baptized with him for the forgiveness of your sins, and God will, well, he'll create us again. We'll be a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19. And we will then be at last able to walk in newness of life. If you have not done that, we're very thankful for the precious soul that did, and we'd invite you to do the same. If we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.